So as you guys likely know, we are in the middle of a short, it's totally cool, a short message series on relationships for the first part of this quarter. Did you guys notice that? It's totally happening. Uh, The first week of our series, Michael introduced us to the concept of relationships as being God's master plan, how God designed us to be in all kinds of different relationships in our lives. Last week, Michael taught us about God's plan for sex and how we should consider or reconsider dating in light of um, what God's plan for sex is. Hello, Ethan. Tonight and next week, we're going to finish up talking about dating specifically before we wrap up our message, our series, with one final amazing message. So dating. So dating. I think dating can be kind of a crazy issue for us to navigate. Anybody else think that? So it's like we see dating happening all around us. Especially if you notice, fall quarter, it's a little sparser than a winter quarter. It's like, oh, everybody's holding hands. And then spring quarter, it's like, everybody's engaged. I don't know. It just happens really fast. (laughs) A lot of us have seen dating play out around us since elementary school, whatever that's like. Some of us have experienced some type of dating or relationship romantically so far in life. Some of us haven't. Oftentimes, we're getting pressured to date from peers and family. Has anybody else been in the club where your grandma says to you, you know, I was married when I was your age. Just wait till it gets to, I already had your mom when I was your age. (laughs) I was president of that club all through college and even after. Yes, I'm 22. Yes, I'm still single. Thank you, grandma. This is very helpful. Very helpful case I didn't already notice. Outside pressure aside, there's often inside of us, there is plenty of like feelings going on and fears sometimes, hopes, maybe hurt. There's just all kinds of stuff going on in there in our sea of emotions about the idea of dating. And you've probably also noticed there's a lot of advice out there about dating from all kinds of sources. A lot of it is really bad. A lot of it is just worthless. Some of it is helpful. We're in Chi Alpha, we're trying to give you a lot more of that helpful kind through doing these message series because we think relationships are like a really important thing in life, yeah? So we're hoping to provide some bridges from wherever each of you are at to where Jesus wants us to be in terms of how we think about and practice relationships in a godly way. So just so you know where I come from, most of you guys all know that now I am married, quite happily so, to Tony, and we've been married for four and a half years. So it doesn't feel like we're newlyweds. People who have been married for 30 years say, oh, you're still newlyweds. So it's marriage. (laughs) And as you can imagine, we dated before we got engaged, before we got married. That was really helpful. And before we started dating and having all those like awkward conversations, we were friends for a really long time. And before that, we even knew each other. All that stuff, that's relationship experience. And I found that relationship experience very, very helpful, um, especially because I've finally gotten to put into practice what I believed a godly relationship and marriage should be but I hadn't had a chance to really see one up close yet. 
But I can also tell you I'm very experienced in being single. And so I want to turn for a minute to a few of the things God taught me about dating back in those single years in college for a bit. I'm already stressing out, but back to college. (laughs) I was like constantly in conflict between what my heart longed for and just like not seeing any of it happen. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully you don't. But by that, I mean that I really longed to know that I was worthy as a woman and that I was becoming or already was the type of person that a great guy who loved Jesus would want to date. But I wasn't ever being pursued. So along my journey in those years of like kind of tension and hoping but not really sure like how to get there, I found out that God really cared about these matters of my heart and he wanted to help me with them. P.S. Freebie, same thing for you wherever you're at. He cares about the matters of your heart and he wants to help you with them. So I lived on Western's campus all four years of college, actually just like Nate was talking about. Um, It was great marriageable person training. And Western's campus is right on the water. And so oftentimes I would walk down from my dorm room to this park. That's it. Well, that's like looking out from it. Um, But I would stare out at the water, and I'm just in my happy introvert zone. And God would often just pop a thought into my head in my happy introvert zone about how the water was just like his love. It's like every time I went, he happened to say something new and different to me on that topic. So one time, I was down there, and I was staring out at the water as it swept in and out of the shore, and it was lapping over all the rocks, because Washington beaches are not like Hawaii. And I was thinking of the boy that I liked at that time, and it wasn't Tony, it was one of his friends, but he already knows. So, as I gazed out... Oh, man, you're sitting in the front row. I feel like we're both blushing. Okay. So, back to the picture. Refocus. So, I'm gazing out at the panorama of water, right? And there's this one tall, skinny rock that was poking up out of the water. So, the waves were, like, lapping all around it and, like, splashing up the sides. But they, it never completely covered the rock. So, it was just poking out. And as I watched this happen, God said into my mind, Melissa, there isn't an area of your life that my love cannot cover. You are the one who tends to hold separate this one part of life. He knew, I knew, he knew. He was talking about dating and relationships in the future and OMG. You tend to hold that area of life separate, but I intend my love to cover that too. So I knew immediately God was saying that I was acting like I was supposed to control or figure out the dating part of my life. Like that's the one area that I had to figure out how to pioneer in on my own, even though God controlled and miraculously provided for every other area in my life. So hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So I can confidently now say that's really goofy and pretty stupid. If God is my king then his kingdom covers and extends through every square inch of my life. He's my king. I'm in his kingdom. Every area of my life is, in, is submitted to his kingdom and his king's rule. If God has bought me from death to life, which he has, then he owns me, every single molecule in my body, every single aspect of my life. 
It's not like the dating or romance part of life was this only part that didn't get baptized. Oops. Everything is submitted to his rule. But I want to talk about this idea for a little bit um, as we get into considering dating tonight because it's a problem that I think I'm not the only person who has. It's more common of a problem than it just being me back in the day. I think probably too many of us who call Jesus our king, we tend to keep romance and sex and dating as like an elephant graveyard that his kingdom doesn't fully own or dominate. You guys remember that scene in Lion King where it's like, everything is your kingdom. What about that shadowy one? And now it's all these memes of like, that's a Super Bowl, lions never go there or whatever. (laughs) I don't actually care about that. It's just, do you know how hard it was to find a non-meme picture of that? took like half an hour. Okay. So Elephant Graveyard is the area that was not safe for the king, for Simba to even go in. So is dating or morality or sex or purity, is it like an elephant graveyard in your life? Or is it Jesus's throne room? Is it something that the king is already cozy and comfortable and fully at home in? Or is it something that you have kept him shadowed away from? Right now, what if you draw a line on your paper, and on one end of the line you say, Elephant Graveyard. The other end is Jesus' throne room. Rate right now where you are at in terms of your relationships and an approach to dating. How welcome is Jesus? How much has he been informing it? I believe that everybody in this room probably wants great relationships, including great romantic relationships, now or in the future. And for those of you tonight who are following Jesus, I bet that most of you really want to do this dating and marriage thing the way that God desires. So if you're maybe just realizing that romance has been kind of an elephant graveyard a little bit for you so far, don't worry because Jesus sincerely wants to instruct you how to build an incredible romantic relationship his way. Jesus has plenty to say on it, and it's really good advice. So in the, for our, as we get into it tonight, I want to start with two reasons why I think it's critical that we let Jesus teach us relationships his way. Here's the first reason. Only God has the right blueprint for relationships. Only God has the right blueprint for relationships. So take keys for an example. In my family's house growing up, um, our house needed one key to get in for the front door. Otherwise, it was the garage code, 24747. They don't live there anymore, so it's fine. So my parents got the original key when they bought the house. But with there being five of us and neighbors and people to help the dog and whatever, we needed extra copies of the key. So my parents go to Home Depot, get the guy to make copies of the key off of the original. Over the years, especially by the time my siblings and I were all in high school and college, we ended up needing a lot of house keys. Because we'd lose them, or we'd need to keep one in our car, or we need to give it to a friend to help the dog, or something like that. We needed spare sets of keys all the time. So my parents made more copies. They would make more copies at Home Depot off of previously made copies that we had laying around. Eventually, over enough years, and with enough copies being made off of copies, do you guys know what happens? If that's happened to you, you know that oftentimes what happens is, down the road, 
a lot of the keys that you have don't work to open the door anymore. It was kind of a joke in my family by college that like 80% of the house keys we had laying around couldn't actually open the front door because they were bad copies. We'd like, oh, I need to give you a key. Okay, so we'd all go out and test it and do this little committee. And, oh, dad can get it to work, but nobody else can. And we would like celebrate if we ever found a copy of our key that could get you in the front door the first time. This can happen, I think, to anything you're trying to make copies off of an original. Like if you're cutting paper or doing a craft project or some manly tool thing, probably. (laughs) But like an imperfection gets into a copy you make off of the original standard. And then every further copy you make from that imperfect standard, the imperfection gets amplified more and more and more. And eventually your future copies, if you line them up to the original, they don't... (laughs) They don't look the same. They don't work the same. Sometimes they just don't even cut it for being compared to the original anymore. And this is exactly what has happened in our world with relationships and sex and dating. Satan, the thief, described in in John 10.10, the thief has come and he has stolen and killed and destroyed God's original master copy in subtle ways and in monstrous ways over lots and lots of years. Satan has made copies of copies, and he's planted distortions, and then he's fueled those distortions to grow over lots of generations. And I've traveled to a lot of different countries in the world, and I can tell you, everywhere you go is different. Like, the way that relationships play out in the Middle East or Vietnam or Haiti or other places, gender roles, all of that stuff, how you even come to be married, those things are all different than they are here. But every single culture has problems, and every single culture's problems are because we've gotten way too far away from the original master copy. The copies we see around us, in our culture even, they don't work to open the door anymore. So what does this mean for us tonight? I think we should recognize that we're living in a world that's so far into the copies of copies of copies that we need to recognize a lot of it isn't what we should come to expect about godly relationships. We need to get back to the original key. Though a lot of us do believe in Jesus and we intend to follow him in our heads, it can be too easy to live like practical atheists in our lives when it comes to matters like sex and dating and relationships. But to whatever degree that's happening, we can't afford to keep doing this. Do you guys know there's a term that's come out to describe a phenomenon happening in our generation, yours and mine? It's called sexual atheism. What it means is that followers of Jesus, not talking about people who don't follow Jesus, but followers of Jesus in our generation tend to think that God should not or could not inform our sexual beliefs and practice. I know, though many of us say, oh, I really want to have God be the center of my future marriage or my future family. But a lot of those same people don't right now have him as the center of their foundation of how they approach relationships or think about them. And if any of that's going on here in this room for you guys, I just want to let you know, it's not ever going to happen then until you make it happen right now. You do not become a marriageable person at your wedding ceremony because of whatever the pastor officiating says. 
it's not going to magically happen then. Just like you, you don't be an overseas missionary because you raise support and get on a plane. You become one because you train right now, living in the dorms, going on SBO, doing all that kind of stuff. It's exactly the same thing for relationships. It's never going to happen in the future that you're going to have a great marriage where God's the center unless right now, before you're in a relationship even, you make him not just the center, whatever that is, but the complete king, the complete definer of sexuality, of relationality, of the convictions you have about dating. Do it now before you even start dating. That's like the best time. And if you are dating, totally just like take a moment and evaluate um, what track you're on and, and how, if it's matching up to the king's master plan. So tonight, I would suggest that we push the eject button of whatever we've learned from movies and TV shows and the culture around us in regards to dating. There's a lot of shows that are super funny. There's so many shows that are super funny. I'm not going to start listing them because we would all go crazy. But those same shows also are mentoring our generation in what expectations to have out of a relationship and in how to do a relationship and in what stuff you should do in a relationship, um, or even what stuff is okay to do not in a relationship, like whatever friends with benefits or all of that weird stuff is. So if we want to have a godly version of a dating relationship, I think we should just recognize that those are entertaining, but they're bad mentors. And so we have to just like press the eject button on the seat they have in our life. We have to just like eject that you know, cargo hold out of our spaceship so we can, like, zoom with Jesus. I don't know. We just have to learn how to jettison those things so they don't hold us back and that we don't continue following the default direction they've got us going in. So would you eject some sources that you've picked up along the way? Would you make the choice to chop off any previously learned patterns of taking and lust or of experimenting with porn or sexual outlets or dressing a certain way, or posting certain stuff on social media so you get certain attention. Um, Those things, like it's totally normal for us to have gotten to wherever we are right now in life. That's totally normal. But in order to get to the master's copy, in order to have a godly version of love, it does require cutting those things off, because they can't go in that direction. God's style of love is completely opposed to, and infinitely better than, the world's version of love. Okay, second reason why I think we should seriously approach God for this is that God's plan of revealing himself to the world starts in the family. God's plan of revealing himself to the world starts in the family. And this is something that I had not really realized, um, maybe even until coming here on staff. But... As Michael taught us last week in Genesis chapter 1, the very, very beginning verses in the Bible, we see that God started his process of defining himself to humankind by what? First, he created two people in his image. He created humans who would be like him and would reflect him to the world. He created Adam and Eve. And then what did he immediately do? He then brought them together as husband and wife. Why did God do that? I believe an intention was that Adam and Eve, through their marriage, 
they would get to understand God's character and his nature better through the other person, how they bear God's image to them. And that through their marriage, they would reflect his character and his attributes to the world. God planted a husband and wife as his image bearers to the entire globe. And throughout the rest of the Bible, we see that the family is the primary place. It's like the ground zero, square one, of where discipleship happens and where evangelism happens. It's so often like churches were made up of households, and evangelism happened by household like a family sharing with another family or getting to accept Jesus together. It's the primary context where those things happen. So think about that high calling when you consider a future dating or marriage relationship. This is what you're called to be. If you're following Jesus tonight, you are designed to be a light set on a hill, illuminating all the darkness around you. And you do that through all your beliefs and all your actions in life. This is such a cool function. We are not purposeless. You are to reflect God's nature and his character to this world. And that doesn't happen statically, like from a selfie. It happens in motion. God's character is revealed when we live it out, guess what, in relationships. Even right now on campus, you are destined to be a light set on a hill, illuminating the darkness by how you do and don't behave sexually, morally, and relationally. That is a cool and, and a, a kind of a sacred calling that we have. Remember, there's no one rock poking up out of the water that God's love and kingship doesn't cover. We, we aren't called to be God worshipers in our singing and our music, but live like practical atheists in money and dating and Snapchat and sex. So our world, and even zooming into just our campus, I believe it's sexually charged and love-starved. So guys, it is going to be so powerful for all of us to be so purified and empowered in this area of our lives that we light up this place like LED cities. It's kind of like right now, Tony in my house is LED lit up because we have not taken our Christmas lights down. The only one on the block, we are rocking it. But that is what we are called to be to this campus, not obnoxious neighbors, but brightly shining in contrast to the darkness around us. We can and we must show this world a glorious redemptive picture of how good our God is. And relationships are an incredible tool he's called us, and we will make or break it through our relationships. So, what is God's blueprint? What is God's original design so that if we follow it, we're going to be lights in the darkness? That's what we're going to look at for the rest of tonight. And just so you know, tonight's message and next week's message, they're kind of like one entire message about dating. So tonight's going to be all big picture stuff. And then next week, I promise, is going to be a lot of specifics about who you should consider dating and like how you should date once you're dating and like all that stuff. So it's going to be a lot of super helpful specifics. But tonight, we're starting with the big picture. So what is God's blueprint? What is the master key that we should get back to copying only that one. Like Michael said the last two weeks, the main blueprint we should use for building all of our relationships off of is the Trinity. How God himself, how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit relate one to another and have since before there was anybody else around to relate with. God is inherently relational in and of himself. So the examples of how 
God and Jesus and the Spirit relate and submit and all of that to each other, they're spread all through the Bible. So obviously too much to to tackle all in one night. But tonight we're just going to peek at one place in Philippians chapter 2 to catch a glimpse of how Jesus lived out God's style of love. So would you turn there in your Bibles right now? Philippians chapter 2. And we're coming in, we're eavesdropping on a, a conversation that's already been going on for a chapter. So we're just listening in, and what's been happening is Pastor Paul is writing to a group of Jesus followers whose relationships with, with each other have been getting messed up by the culture around them in the world. So obviously, it doesn't just happen to us nowadays. It's like constantly what happens to followers of Jesus who live in a culture, a.k.a. everyone, which is why the Bible is constantly relevant and helpful. So we're going to peek into here and see how Jesus lived out God's way of love and how this can correct um, any errors we make in our relationships. So we're going to read verses 1 through 18, and I've got three readers to do that. So uh, I think George is up for verses 1 through 4. Thanks, guys. So this passage that we just read, it's a sandwich. And what George and Andrew read, it's like the bread on the outside, and that is how the insides, the the meat of the sandwich, how it applies to the people that Paul's writing to. The middle, uh, verses 6 through 11, that Andrea read, that's what Paul is calling the church to take a good long look at. He is setting up the example of Jesus on a shelf saying, take a good look at this, you guys. You need to see this, and then I'm going to tell you how it applies to your relationships. 
So what do we see here? I think the thing that's screaming out of this passage is that Jesus was postured as a servant. Jesus chose to lay down his own rights to serve us. He didn't justify his rightful position, though there's plenty that he, was, he could have been right and true to justify. He's equal with God. He doesn't need to leave heaven to become so lowly like a human. He would have been perfectly right to stay as he was, but he didn't use it to his own advantage. Jesus submitted his rights to serve our advantage, even though we didn't deserve it one bit. The way of love in the kingdom of God is exactly like Jesus models here and that he modeled all throughout his life. Godly love is servant love. Godly love, servant love, it's self-giving. It's others promoting. It's never self-promoting. Taking is foreign to this kind of love. Selfishness is just poison to this kind of love. The way it looks, the posture is one of kneeling down beneath your rights and lifting the other person up. The one that you love up, you're fueling them and their good rather than fueling your own good. Uh, last week, Michael read John 13, 34 to 35, um, where Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everybody's going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. So question, what was this kind of love like? How did Jesus love us? As I have loved you. What is that? Just like we see here in Philippians 2, it's a self, self-giving, a servant love. That's its pure DNA. We also see that in that John 13 passage. If you read the entire 33 verses that come before, 34 and 35, what do you see? You see Jesus, the king, the master, takes off his outer robes and he kneels down, takes the lowliest servant's job and washes his disciples' stinky, nasty feet. In verses 12 through 17 of John 13, so a little bit before the verses we read, Jesus says to them, after he gets up, puts his clothes back on, do you get what I just did for you? I am your teacher and your master and your Lord. That's true. And, not but, and, I just washed your feet. Now that I've washed your feet, learn from this, you should wash one another's feet. I just set you an example of what love in my kingdom is like. Do to others as I have done to you. So if we link that with the verses uh, 34 and 35, it's totally clear. Jesus is calling us to fully switch kingdoms, to jump out of the kingdom of our culture, which is a me first, number one, take, take, satisfy myself, feel good, a self-focused kind of love, and jump into God's self-giving kind of love. Godly love is servant love. So what we have just looked at in Philippians 2 and John 13, this is the end goal. This is the way of love in God's kingdom. And this is the goal of of marriage and family and, and dating relationships. The way that we can live out this godly servant love and perfect it, spend a lifetime perfecting it, is through marriage. Specifically getting married to somebody who's going to eagerly enter into and, and excel in this process with you. Building a family that is founded on this type of love that's going to light up the neighborhood where so many other families are like pretty dysfunctional or tend to be selfish or not love each other that well sometimes. That's the light that we're called to be by living this type of love as our DNA. 
So the question is, how do we think about dating? We need to use a principle called backward engineering. I just told you what the end goal is. So we're going to start from the end goal, and we're going to backward engineer our way. Okay, that's love. Marriage is for that. So dating would be in line with that direction. So we're going to look at all of that a lot next week. But I would recommend that tonight and over the coming week, I'd recommend all of us think seriously about this end goal that we just looked at in Scripture. Evaluate how you're doing and where you're at in your own life. Before you start focusing on who around you is dateable or marriageable, it's really wise to look inside first and see how am I becoming these things? What do I need to start focusing on so I can get there? Paul, in Pastor Paul, in this passage we read, he spends um, a lot of time in verses 1 through 5, the top bread, and verses 12 through 18, the bottom bread. He's applying the example of Jesus to the people he's writing to. He's telling them a few ways that this new way of love needs to start changing things about their relationships currently. He says things like, you guys got to work to be like-minded, be somebody committed to unity with others, not somebody who plants division because you're careless in your speech or your actions or you're selfish. He says things like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That means who's number one in your life has totally got to change. As a follower of Jesus, you don't look out for the old number one anymore. Number one is now Jesus. Number two is other people. And number three might be yourself. We have to die to ourselves to be good lovers. We have to die to our selfishness um, to have great marriages or dating relationships. Paul says, be somebody whose actions are motivated by how to serve somebody else's need, not whose actions are in order to serve your own need. Paul says, do everything without complaining and grumbling and arguing and venting, whatever that is. He says this stuff is actually key to becoming a child of God who shines in the, the, like a light in this selfish culture, just like a star shines in the dark sky. He says at the very end, embrace hard work and the need to persevere. Loving others is going to require fully emptying yourself, especially when you do it for one person over a very long time, once all the infatuation and goosey feelings die off. It takes perseverance, which is one reason we need to die to our, ourselves and our sin nature and our selfishness, because otherwise, every time that person needs you to serve them, you'll have an inner war going on. No, but it cost me something. Oh, but I should. No. Just put to death the voice of, of selfishness, and it's way easier. You are motivated to serve them. That becomes satisfying and right. You don't feel like it costs you anything. So anyways, next week we're going to get to the specifics as we backward engineer our way to how to think about dating now. But as the worship team comes up, I have a few questions in closing for us to consider. And they're going to be on the screen. And I want to ask that you guys all pick one. Just at least pick one and journal a little bit on it as we get into responding to God tonight. Here's the questions. What do you need to extract or eject from your concept of love, your assumptions about marriage, your idea about dating? What do you need to press the eject button on? I talked about how our call is to be a light set in a dark place, to be light on a hill. 
in our relationships. So when you think about that, what things are important to you about being that in the future, in your future marriage, in your family? Write about those sort of things. Lastly, what things do we need to do right now to start getting less dark and more illuminated, shining more brightly? What's going to help you become more dateable and marriageable? Is there something that you need Jesus to set you free from? Something that you need to confess to some trusted friends and core or start getting accountability on? Maybe through this passage, Jesus is revealing that there's something you need to stop doing, like stop complaining, stop living for selfish motives, start living to serve others, serve your roommate every day, act in core like the best asset, the best lifter-upper of everybody else you could be. How can you start training in God's servant love tonight? So as you guys reflect, I'm going to pray to transition us into worship. Jesus, thank you so much for modeling um, the best kind of love this world has ever hosted, um, a love that, that would die to oneself um, to allow others to live. And um, as I've been learning that um, so far over some years, I'm so thankful that you give a version that's not scary and that is so liberating and uh, makes me alive and makes other people alive. Um, so I thank you that um, you have a good call for all of us to step out of the old and just cut off stuff that's really um, holding us back. And um, you want to launch us into being real change assets in a very love-starved world. So would you lead us in that, Jesus, and um, reveal to us tonight how to start stepping into that process more and more with you. Pray this in your name. Amen.